May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Kook Audio Podcast. I'm D.C. Poopa of Kook Audio and Kook Archives, helping to preserve the legacy of Shunyu Suzuki and those whose paths cross his. And anything else that comes to mind, I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. Now, uh, today we're going to have a guest, one Kelsang Chogtorp, whom some of you may remember as Van Voorhees. Tsongtor came to the Zen Center early on, was a student of Shunyu Suzuki. He's going to tell us how his path led to there, how it led from there to where he is now in Oaxaca, getting ready to uh, start a meditation center there. He's been teaching meditation in the Kadampa method. You can learn about it at kadampatradition.org, K-A-D-A-M-P-A, kadampatradition.org. So, as soon as we've had our pause to meditate, we'll give Sogdor a call. So when we hit the bell, if you're of such a mind, hit pause and meditate or whatever for as long as you wish. And when you're ready to come back, hit unpause and we'll be there to hit the bell to end the meditation or whatever and give Kelsang Tsongdur a call. Hey, David. Hi there. Good to see you. Kelsang. See, it's good to see you too. Well, Kelsang, formerly Van Voorhees, now Kelsang Sogtor. Sog, Sogtor. Yeah. Before I ask uh, how that came about, um, just you're in Oaxaca now. Yeah, well, well, what what are you doing there now? What am I doing in Oaxaca? Yeah. Um, I've been living here for eight years. Oh, really? Yeah. And I'm basically house-sitting. Oh, nice deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a friend of mine owns owns this house. It's in the central area of Oaxaca City. Mm-hmm. Good location. And... He's not able to live here. He lives in Petaluma, California. Hmm. Um, but he wants to have somebody in the house. He's also 
a teacher in my tradition, but he's not ordained. He has a family. Mm-hmm. And so he likes someone in the house. And prior to moving here, I was living in a Kadampa temple in New York State. Oh. And I didn't have resp- any responsibility there, really. So I, a friend of mine sort of said, oh, so you jumped over the monastery wall and escaped. And, and basically, that's what, that's what happened. Uh, what are you What are you doing there? I know you said you had a class uh, yesterday. I think. Yeah, I teach um, a class on Wednesday night. But when I when I came here, I'm, I'm I was also <clears throat> already enrolled in a study program online uh-huh. uh, in a program where there was a commitment to study five books within three years. Uh-huh. And so this is a program that. I think at the time, 800 of us were on throughout the world mm. in, my, in my tradition. And so, so it worked out because wherever there was internet, I could move and still stay on that program. So I've been on that program now for eight years because they've extended the books. Mm. <laughs> Tell me about the program. That's, what is it? It's studying Dharma. It's studying, I belong to a tradition called the Kadampa tradition. Yeah. And I've been, I've been with the same teacher, Geshe Kelsang. Uh, and so um, I've just been practicing under his guidance, along with many other people and have, watched this tradition grow and now become throughout the world an entirely new Buddhist tradition Mm. in the world. Tell me about it. Mm. What what branch of Tibetan Buddhism is it? Well, it's not Tibetan Buddhism. Oh, well, the name, all right, see, fill me in. Well, um, teacher is Tibetan, but he came, was invited to go to England in 1977 to teach a particular text called the, actually it's the first book that I read in 1982, but I didn't know who the author was, but it was called The Bodhisattva's Way of Life. Mm-hmm. Um, Meaningful to Behold was the commentary. But he, he was invited to teach for six months. And then uh, they asked him to stay. So now he stayed and transferred his lineage to us uh, and has been able to present Buddhism in a way that fits the the modern the modern world you know the people um the, a clear presentation of, of the meaning of buddhism mm-hmm. and so that's in general um and through that through that through doing that for over 45 years uh, an entirely new tradition of buddhism has been established in the modern world. What's it called? The, the New Kadampa tradition. 
And uh, how does uh, someone find out about it? Just go on the internet. And write? New Kadampa tradition. K, uh, can you spell Kadanta? K-A-D-A-M-P-A. K-A-D-A-N-T-A? M-P-A, Kadampa. Oh, K-A-D-A-M-P-A, Kadampa. All right. Yeah, you can you can get all all the information online. Are are the books you're studying all part of this tradition? Are they? Yes. Uh huh. They they are this tradition. They're um, this is the lineage that's passed on to us, been passed on to us. Mm hmm. And and uh, uh, wow, is he still in England? Well, he. He, we say, passed into clear light uh-huh. about a month ago. Oh, goodness. Oh. He was 91. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, did you ever meet him? Oh, yes. I've, uh, um, I met him in 1986. Oh. And... The way I found out about this tradition was through Jerome Peterson. Is that right? Wow. Uh, that's wonderful. Yeah, Jerome, Jerome gave me a book called Heart of Wisdom, mm. and it was a commentary to the Heart Sutra. The Heart Sutra is near and dear to my heart because that's the first sutra I ever heard yeah. from Suzuki Roshi. Um, so, and over the years, at that point, had been in Zen Center for 20 years. Mm. A lot of thought goes into, you know, the meaning of that sutra. Um, and trying to find a clear understanding of what it means, you know. But, um, but this, this book basically was very clear in how to attain enlightenment through the practice of the five Mahayana paths, illustrated and taught in the heart of wisdom. So it kind of revealed the meaning of that sutra. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I immediately, I knew Geshe Kelsang was my teacher. Mm. So you've been in uh, the uh, Kadampa? Yes. Tradition since 1986? Yes. Wow. Wow. And uh, you started off in the San Francisco area. How long before you uh, left that area to, you know, to go to New York or whatever? Um, Well, what happened... was in in 1990 mm-hmm. just in early 1990 or 91 Geshe sent a, a student to give uh, basically um, initial teachings in San Fran- in the Bay Area, basically in San Jose. Mm. But uh, prior to that, I had made a request, a written request, 
that we have we had someone come and a, a couple of other people did too so I was invited to the first teaching I was on the mailing list and it was in San Jose and I took two friends of mine and I wanted to see if the clarity of Geshe Kelsang's teachings could come through another person. That was my thinking. Yeah. And I knew within five minutes it could. And and this was a young this was a young woman who was at that time thirty in their early thirties, mm-hmm. and who had studied with him for ten years prior to that. Um, but then I asked her after the teaching. I asked her if she would consider giving teachings in San Francisco because I basically didn't want to go to San Jose, you know, in the middle of rush hour mm. on Friday night. <laughs> so so um, she talked to Geshe Kelsang and he said yes, you know, and so she came and I was living I was living in Pacific Heights at that time in San Francisco. Hmm. And she saw my apartment and, and saw a, a place where she could teach. So <clears throat> we started having teachings there. Hmm. And, and um, we became actually the first center in the United States, Kadampa Center. Oh, is that right? Wow. Yeah. And so we did the kind of the basic work to get things started. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it was an exciting time. I was going through a divorce and, you know, I had a son, Clay. Who, oh, my uh, son is Clay too. Yeah. I, I One of my two sons. Right. right. Oh, <laughs> not, not many of them. That's great. <laughs> So, so, but I had uh, made a commitment to, to help work on, you know, getting this center going. And, you know, from my experience at Zen Center and, and all the, I, I knew, you know, to commit yourself to something like that takes away a lot, you know, takes away your ability to, you know, that's the focus. So, I was reluctant in the beginning, but then I, I said, yeah, I have to do it. I think I think that's the effect of the Bodhisattva vow mm-hmm. received from Suzuki Roshi mm. in 1971. This uh, center uh, continue in San Francisco? Absolutely. It's um, when When I was the director and we were beginning... I went to England several times to receive teachings, but also to um, see how the centers were developing. And at that time, there were 17 centers, 15 in England, one in Spain, and one, one in the United States. So I was there to learn uh, how, how, these, how this was growing and how, they, how centers, how to develop a center. And at the same time, to receive, uh, receive teachings. So, so I was the director of this center, and uh, I had a girlfriend who didn't who didn't know anything about Buddhism really, mm. but she was the sweetest person I'd ever met, and she loved me. And um, 
and such a, and so she became interested in Buddhism and actually um, became the first ordained nun in the United States in this tradition. Hmm. And now there's, I think, I don't know how many centers in the United States and temples, two large temples. Hmm. So it grew. I mean, we, you know, we knew it was going to grow, or I, I suspected. Hmm. And at what point did you go to New York? Um, in 2014. Oh. Oh, well, that's just like a couple of years before you went to Oaxaca. Yeah, yeah. I um, I was ordained in 2010. Uh-huh. I'd requested ordination. Well, actually, I'd requested ordination in about 2000 and had a date, but I, I uh, you know, Clay was still in high school. Yeah. And, but I canceled it because uh, I was doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm. I had fallen in love and my heart was broken. So I didn't want to ever experience that pain again. Mm. So to get ordained was not the to ordained wasn't the right reason. I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> so and I and I raised my son as a single parent. Hmm. Hmm. In San Francisco. Do do I know the mother? Wendy White. Hmm. You were you were actually assisting Dick Baker when we got married. Wow. Yeah. And the same is true with Cheryl Hughes. <laughs> uh, well, you didn't get. I was I was at Cheryl. I was at your wedding when you married Cheryl too. Yeah, you were assisting uh, Baker, Dick Baker. Well, how much time was there between the two weddings? <laughs> I don't know. I think I can't remember. I think Wendy and I were married. I don't know. Around might be nineteen eighty-three or eighty-four. Um, and Cheryl and I were married in, I think, 1976. I was, uh, you know, Cheryl and I both lived in, oh, God, she has another name, Diana Hart, um, in uh, Sebastopol at the same time. Uh, are you ever in touch with her? No, no. Um, it ended badly. Oh, oh. And you had a daughter who died, too. Well, that was Cheryl's daughter, but I yeah, but I kind of she asked me to be there at the birth, yeah, and there was clearly a connection between me and her name was Eon, mm. and um, yeah, that was tragic. Huh. I know, I know, and um, yeah, and I, I actually, <clears throat> you know, Bill Kwong asked Cheryl and I if we wanted to moved to Genjo Genjoji. It was just starting out. Yeah. And so we said, yeah, because I wanted to be part of Zen Center, but it just didn't seem to be happening. Mm -hmm. Because I had earlier, I had 
as Katagiri Roshi to ordain me. Mm -hmm. And um, he said he would, but I would have to go to Minneapolis. Yeah. But I grew up in San Francisco, so that was, you know, and also I I knew that he wasn't part of Suzuki Roshi's lineage, yeah. which I felt connected to. Mm -hmm. So there was so little, so Bill, Bill asked us if we wanted to move to his new community on Sonoma Mountain. So we did that. Mm. I had to build a house. Oh, how was that? It was in the in the time of handmade houses, you know. Yeah, using for all sure. I've got it. Material. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I lived the next ridge over for eight nine years with uh, John Tarrant. Really? Yeah. Uh, that before uh, that was like two thousand and three to two thousand eleven. Yeah, I just lived in his barn, uh, and we were, he was very generous, we were good friends, and it was great, I took care of his place, and I went over to Ginjoji every now and then uh, for ceremonies, you know, say hello. Uh, how did it work out for you at Ginjoji? Well, um, I, you know, you know, it, thinking you know that I was doing everything right and um, in my practice you know and in my kind of like motivation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but um, I, I started I started getting ulcerated colitis and migraine headaches Wow and I couldn't retain food and, and also I was really angry and I didn't know why mm. And so, um, you know, so Cheryl had to experience that, not, not physically, but, you know, intense. But I was, you know, I didn't know what was happening to me. Um, and I was losing blood and, and um, I couldn't retain food. Wow. I was like, I think, 26 years old or 25 years old. Hmm. And so she um, got together with John Thorne. Yeah. And, and um, she, <laughs> she, she, yeah, she told me there was something wrong with me. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was the worst thing that I could have ever imagined experiencing because um, I found out later through the help of Leon Siegel, do you know that name? Who? Leon Siegel. Uh, He's um, he was part of the Charlotte Silver Sensory Awareness. Oh yeah, group. yeah. And so he he was a member of Genjoji, and he asked me if you know he could help me because I I was trying everything, and he you know he did, and through his through sensory awareness and him asking me questions. I, I I could see that I had vowed never to get married because of the the painful experience of my parents' divorce. Oh, and so I completely forgot about that, feeling secure and you know Buddhist family. That it was t 
tearing me up inside. Huh. And when I saw that, I saw the cause, both went away. But it was, you know, it was too late. I mean, it was just, the karma was too late. You know, Cheryl and John were together and um, I experienced the, the, the same pain I would have, uh, I experienced when I was younger. Hmm. However, your, your, your health improved and yeah. you, you could see clearly what the cause was. Uh, you could see the damage it had done and, but you could move, you could go from there. Yeah, yeah. And I and I and I remember Eon, Cheryl's daughter. I was her father by you know my uh, I remember her saying uh, when I left, who's gonna take care of me? You know, and it just broke my heart. Because marrying Cheryl through my own motivation, I mean my own motivation was to create stability. Uh-huh. You know. But that didn't happen. Mm. Mm. So that was how it was for me again, Jochi. Mm. Um, sitting Tangario, you know, doing the practice. But uh, and then I moved back to I went to back to Green Gulch. Oh. Oh. And and uh, so, when when did you move back to Green Gulch? What year? Do you remember? It must have been. I don't know. Seventy nine or something like that. Uh huh. Uh huh. I'd lived there before. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened then? Well, I had set it up, you know, uh, with Cheryl that Eon would come and stay with me every other weekend, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And, um, but the problem with that was I was sharing a room. And when she came to visit, we had to get our own room. Mm -hmm. And it was a big, it was a hassle. Mm. Um, you know, that, you know, working through, I don't know, the different committees or whatever. Yeah. It was every time it was a big hassle. Mm. So I went to Reb and I, he was the head of the place. And I told him, you know, I said that I wanted to get my own room. What do I have to do to do that? And he said to me, you can work harder here and show that you're sincere or you can get a job working outside and pay rent. Mm -hmm. So I had a car my father had given me and I said, I'll, I'll, I'll work outside. So I got a job working as a carpenter in San Francisco. Ah, didn't, you didn't do a rug, Rug uh, lane. No, no, I was transitioning out of that, David. Yeah. I, you know, I wanted to be vertical, not 
horizontal. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was very hard on your knees, I know. Absolutely. Yeah. And still, yeah, I, I really appreciated your comment, you uh, know, that perception, you know, of the importance of the knees. Yeah. Um, for someone who's sitting. Um, and, I have, and I still have, I still suffer from those injuries. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was very well aware of it when you were doing it. Uh, you were our, you were putting in, you know, carpets and carpets in in San Francisco when we got that Page Street building. I know. Anytime somebody needed a carpet or something, I mean, did did all the rooms have carpets or I don't, I don't remember. I don't know, but that was you know that's that was a you know I loved doing that you know it was a it was a skill that I didn't have to think about too much, and I just could you know do that. But I'd worked you know I'd worked previously before coming to Zen Center as a carpet installer. So. Mm -hmm. And actually, but um, so so I told Reb, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go get a job. So. <clears throat> So everybody in Gringotts knew what I was doing. I was packing a lunch every day, and then I'd return in the evening for Zazen and all of that. And so after a month, I had made enough money. I was working for a Mexican woman architect, builder. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> with my Japanese tools that didn't go over too well. <laughs> um, <laughs> And um, after a month, I had made enough money. So I went to Reb and um, said, okay, I've got enough money now. Let's, let's look and see what's available. And he denied making that arrangement with me. Uh-oh. And I couldn't believe it. And I, I called in Dan and Yvonne for support. They came with me to meet with him a second time, and um, uh, they just were cowed, you know, by his authority. They didn't get support. <clears throat> so I ended up <clears throat> uh, moving to San Francisco because I wanted to create a space for Eon. Mm -hmm. And then Cheryl found out I moved to San Francisco, and she and John decided that I should just sever my relationship with the arm. Hmm. So that was, you know, I couldn't look at another child for three years after that. Yeah, did you, um, uh, have any relationship with her after that? No. Even up to now? Well, when she, when she, well, I was always hoping that when she turned 18, she would, you know, look me up. We were very close. And uh, what happened was the first night she was in San Francisco, after turning 18, she was murdered. Oh, right. Right. Mm. So that's, you know, that it's taken me a long time to get over my resentment. And I, you know, I, I, um, um, towards Rev. And finally I knew, you know, it was killing me. So I made an appointment 
with him. And I told him, you know, I explained and went over what had happened. And um, he, he didn't say a word. And I got up and I left and I was free of that resentment. You, you seem to be doing really well now. And uh, you've always, you were always uh, a, uh, you know, a sincere, serious practitioner. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Anyway, that you went and saw Reb like that and did that, uh, you know, because yeah. that's hard. That's like ugh, going against the uh, the grain there. No, but I, I've learned how to. I've learned to do that. Yeah. And, uh, um, and also, um, you know, I never, I never told Cheryl the reason why I moved to San Francisco. Hmm. Uh, and um, because I think I was just too, you know, just this sense of failure was so strong. Hmm. And. Um, embarrassment, you know, to be treated like that. Mm. <laughs> mm. So, so um, you know, it was already bad enough, you know, mm. with her. <clears throat> and also, you know, I was just thinking, anticipating that this might come up in our conversation, that just how much I really loved her. And that's, you know, my relationship was with the child, but, you know, also with Cheryl. Yeah. And just being, just not being, you know, having that kind of maturity to be in a relationship and and not knowing why I was so angry and um, bleeding to death, basically. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Well, let's move further back. Uh, you were born in San Francisco? No, I was born in Reno, Nevada. Aha. Uh -huh. And uh, but you you grew up in in San Francisco or you grew up how, how did that work out? Well, I moved uh to San Francisco in 1960 with my mother and my sister. <clears throat> my mother and father were divorced a couple of years earlier. Mhm. Mm 1960, what were you uh how old? Fifteen or? I was I was fourteen. Fourteen. Mm. And I was in the ninth grade, in what we called it back then junior high school. Right. I mean, yeah. And it was it was. We moved in with my mother's parents, and we lived on who lived on Fifth Avenue, in the Richmond district, mm. and. Over the previous years, we had come to San Francisco and visit my grandparents. And there were four, five boys my age on that block that I, that I knew from a very early age. So oh. when, when I moved, I, I, you know, I, I, I was just sort of accepted mm. and uh, part of, the, uh, part of the, the gang, you know, or not gang, but yeah. But, uh, very innocent at that time. Mm -hmm. So what happened? How, how did things evolve? Um, well, my mother 
my mother got a job as a legal secretary downtown. And after living with my grandparents, I guess it was about a year, when I graduated from junior high school, I went to a, we, she, we got our own apartment uh, a block away from the high school I was going, my sister and I were going to attend, well, Washington High School. Mm. And so, so my 11th year started, no, my 10th year started. I did, I did okay. In my ninth grade, I did really well. I think I was a straight A student. Mm. But in um, the 10th grade, it was a whole new situation, new friends. A lot, of, a lot of the friends that I grew up with, you know, are, we all went to Washington. But at that point, everybody's beginning to kind of split apart. But I'd maintained close friendships. And by the time my 11th grade, in the 11th grade, I had um, was only going to two classes, a gym class and a history class, because I liked the teachers. Wait a minute. You were only going to two classes? How do you get away with that? Well, I forged my report cards. Oh, I see. My, you know, my mother's a single parent. She's not around. I have no parental guidance, really, at all. And um, or any other kind of guidance. And so, yeah, so I, you know, so, so by the end of the 11th year, they found out, both the school and my mother, and they gave me the choice to either quit school or get thrown out, to be expelled. Mm -hmm. So I chose to quit. And they, um, I was 17. And they, they um, because I was a minor, um, and because I quit school, I was put on probation for beyond, being beyond parental control. Mm -hmm. and, and the probation officer, after seeing him a couple of times, said, you don't need to be on this. I mean, I didn't feel bad about myself. Yeah. But... But I, I didn't feel that great about my future. Um, so, but, yeah. But then I started working. Oh, I took the, they told me to take, at that time people like, like me, you know, were encouraged to join the army. Oh, yeah, right. And so I had to take the, they suggested I take the pre-enlistment test, written test, and I failed it. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Did you fail it on purpose? No, no. I, I mean, I, I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I, I looked like I had it together, but really I didn't. Huh. You know, in terms of, of, of feeling like a, you know. Lost and a failure and all of that. Uh huh. But um, I don't know. I think you're pretty successful. We were able to get through the whole eleventh grade going to what'd you say, gym and history? 
Yeah. You like no, history? Was, you like the teacher or what? I like the teacher. Yeah. The way she taught. It was illuminating. Yeah. And Jim, I was athletic, so I really liked, you know, and I liked, I think I, the coach wanted to sign me up for track because I could run some kind of distance faster than anybody else in like gym clothes. Mm -hmm. um, but, but at the same time, you know, just, uh, I had friends and we, you know, and we did things together. And, and uh, I remember the first time I smoked pot. I mean, this is San Francisco now in, in 1965. Mm-hmm. Uh, 64. I remember the first time I smoked pot, we split a matchbook, little matchbook, an old like 53 Mercury stuffed with guys, uh -huh. you know, smoking pot. And we went down Judah Street underneath the Great Highway in a tunnel. You know, I had to walk and I got lost in the tunnel. And, uh, um, so I didn't really, you know, didn't really do a lot for me, but um, drinking was also, you know, very much a part of the experience. Yeah, I'm sure. My father is an alcoholic. Mm. Turns out my mother is an alcoholic. Mm. She, married, she remarried an alcoholic. Mm. Um, so, so I'll, uh, you know, I have been in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous now since 1986. 86. Um, most, my, our great number of my friends here in Bali are 12 step, you know, and Katrinka runs meetings. And I don't go to meetings, but I am, you know, I haven't had a drink since, I don't know, 2004. Uh, comes being with her. She's my uh, my program, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, um, yeah. I really appreciate uh, uh, twelve step Alcoholics Anonymous NA. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how that's a mutual friend. How who reconnected us, of Katrina's uh, Katrinka Jeffrey. Um, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, um, a wild man. <laughs> so, you know, at that time in San Francisco, all the, the you know, the, the alternative lifestyles were kicking in and, you know, the hippie era was beginning. Yeah. And I had all kinds of friends um, who, who were doing different things. I actually knew Tommy Dorsey before he ever came to Zen Center. Is that right? Yeah. When he was living in the hate? Well, no, he was living. He was living in a commune on on uh, California Street oh. in Arguello. Oh, I thought they were in the hate with Mickey and and that whole crowd. Yeah, no, that was on. Yeah, that was on Cole Street. Oh, there's another house on Page, but but um, no, that family first started out in this commune around the corner from my house, and um, uh, they used to take care of my cat when I I, I became a a merchant seaman uh, oh. as an alternative to the service. And so when I was shipping out, they would take care of my cat and I would go over there. Oh. But it was, 
But it was mostly a gay community, young, young, but it was families. Yeah. And I got to know Tommy's, Tommy's other family of the, um, of the uh, Finocchio crowd, you know, that uh-huh. became, I knew them kind of, they're wonderful people. And I, I laid carpet in their hotel in, on Sonoma, on Sonoma Square. Um, anyway, it's, it's, uh, so I have, so those are some of the people that I knew. Huh, that's really interesting. And at the same time, I'd started sitting in 1966 with Suzuki Roshi at Sokoji. How did that come about? I saw, I saw that photograph of that Vietnamese monk immolate himself in Saigon. Yeah. And I, all I, I didn't know anything about Buddhism. And all I saw was Buddhist monk in a sitting position and the extraordinary act. And I thought I wanted to know what could be in that person's mind mm. who could do something like that. Mm. So I, I looked in the yellow pages under Buddhist churches and I think there were five in San Francisco then. And I went around to all of them, but they didn't teach meditation mm. or Buddhism. And then um, the last church I went to was the Buddhist Churches of America on Pine Street. Yeah. And the priest there told me that there was a Japanese teacher Mm -hmm. teaching Westerners how to do Zen meditation. Yeah. Maybe it was Ogui uh, who you talked to. (laughs) So I'm just so clear in my mind. So I walked down and around the corner to Bush Street. Yeah. And knocked on the door of Sokoji, and Yvonne was sitting at the bottom of the stairs. Mm. She was reception, and I just asked about, I was told that there's someone teaching meditation here. And so I went up, she, she called up to Suzuki Roshi, and I went upstairs, and he said, what do you want, what, what, is, what, what do you want? I wanted to learn about Buddhism and about meditation. He sat me down on the cushion, and I can still feel his hand on my back, adjusting my posture. And then that, 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 that's how it began for me. Mm. I started coming, sitting, and um, walking from Arguello, where I lived. So, so, but I was also dealing with being drafted, too. Oh, because you didn't stick with the Merchant Marine. No, no, that was that was alternative service. I was drafted, but I was deferred for six months because of physical <clears throat> reason. They gave me six months to correct it. And I waited five months and three weeks and six days and went in and had a minor surgery. Um, went back for my physical, and there was still swelling, so they deferred me for six more months. And then I, then I, I was laying carpet with a friend, and the owner of the place. <clears throat> uh, we became friends, and he was a merchant. He was an engineer on a 
on a ship. And he said he, he could get me a job if I could get the Siemens papers. So I did that. Mm. Now, was was this during the, the time you were going to Sokochi? Yeah. Mm. So I I have a picture, I mean I in my mind, I I would I would I had a commitment to sit Zazen every day. Well, I had a commitment to sit Zazen every day. And so I I did. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, there was a lots of other distractions mm-hmm. that were so wonderful. Mm-hmm. But nobody, none of my friends were interested in Buddhism. So I was basically all, all alone in that. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, I can, I remember sitting Zazen and I, I worked on an aircraft carrier, sitting up on the flight deck next to the stack doing Zazen. Mm. Everywhere I went, I would sit Zazen. Oh, that's great. And how long did that go on? Well, we got, went, our, we went to Vietnam. Mm. And we basically delivered light aircraft and pineapple juice that we would pick up in Hawaii. Mm. And uh, then go to the Philippines and then to Vietnam. Different different harbors, different places in Vietnam. We'd come back. And um, You did that as a, as a merchant marine? Yeah. Well, my understanding back then was if you were non-military, uh, like Merchant Marine, you'd get extra pay for going to Vietnam. Is that true? We did. We did. Um, right. We would get extra pay. Yeah. Uh, and also, I was I was stationed um, when I when our boat was in dry dock. I was also working on a trip troop transport that was at Hunter's Point in San Francisco. So I kept my apartment and at the same time got paid uh, extra for, uh, what do they call it, accommodation, you know? Yeah. For living, for living off the boat. So oh. um, I can't remember what it's called. Mm-hmm. Did you ever talk um, to Jerry Fuller about any of that? Because he was Merchant Marine. No, I never did talk to Jerry um, about that. I didn't know he was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a big part of his <laughs> life. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> uh. But, yeah. Yeah, and, and then I I went to, um, what I, you know, I, The person who actually got me the job and we were friends, he was like one of the smartest people I'd ever met. But he was into control. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't having any part of that. And, and so I got off the ship. I didn't notify the draft board. And I moved to Oregon. Oh. <laughs> to... To um, to just work and to be in a natural environment and to practice, mm-hmm. and that led to and I I'm, 
and I wanted to stop smoking, stop drinking, and stop women. Mm. You're awful you know, young. I mean, You're awful young. A pure life. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my idea. Yeah. So I went to Oregon, but the, the first job I got was a place called Crater Lake. And, yeah. And I, I didn't, I didn't, I had a camper, so I lived in my camper. I didn't live like in the hotel with everybody. And uh, I was walking through the woods one day after work and came across this sunlit clearing and this woman singing folk songs to this, these children sitting around on a log. And so we, we ended up traveling through Oregon together. Oh, <laughs> that's great. Mm. And she, 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 she learned Zazen and we, we went, we had different, we went to different, worked in different places. Mm -hmm. Worked on a movie set, uh, on a movie called Paint Your Wagon. Oh, yeah. That Paint Your in Wagon, isn't that a musical? Yeah, I don't know. If I, I don't know. I never, I never saw it, I don't think. Um, but it was, you know, it was filmed, it was filmed, uh, it was a Western and filmed in the East Eagle Mountains in Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's interesting. And and when I yeah, and, and just to make this real short, you know, to uh, <clears throat> I uh, I ended up in Coos Bay, Oregon, or Charleston, Oregon, mm -hmm. uh, because I was freezing to death in northeastern Oregon, working on a dairy farm and hauling hay. Um, hmm. But I went. I wanted in the middle of the winter. I went. I wanted to get to the coast, so I was working on fishing boats. And Jane was working in the fisheries there. But I took a two. I took a boat up to Southeast Alaska to fish, and ended up working in a lumber camp up there. My. And doing zazen the whole time. You know, this was my, this was my education. Wow. Wow. So I came back thinking that I wanted to go to Peru and live in a cave in the Andes. Mm -hmm. And I stopped off in San Francisco and stayed with my sister. And I learned that I had to get a passport, which you don't need when you have a Siemens card. Oh, um, how interesting. Huh. And I didn't want to wait. I didn't want to wait for that. So I... Went to Hawaii instead, ah. thinking that I would, you know, and, and I went to Kauai and I got a job in the first hotel they were building. But before starting work, I decided I didn't want to do it. And I just walked to the, uh, I walked to the, I'm sorry, I'm, I've got something appearing on my screen. <clears throat> but um, anyway, I, I decided to come back to San Francisco and went into the housing on Bush Street across from Sokoji. Oh. So across from Sokoji, so you're still in the 60s. Uh, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And my, one, my roommate was Reb and I think Jim Morton. 
Oh, goodness. How did that work out? Well, <clears throat> what happened? I mean, I, I got a job. I got a job um, at Heald's Bookstore. Which bookstore? Heald's Bookstore. It was a law bookstore on Van Ness. So that was that was the way I, my income, and then, you know, becoming part of the community. Um, but then um, we moved to Page Street in 1969, and I was yeah, that was me, and I think two or three other people were the first ones to move into that building. Well, let's see. There was Nils, there was um, uh, Ananda, there was Jack Weller, and Rene Pate. Oh, Renee was an early person there. I forgot. And you, you were there. Wow. Jack Will and Bob Halpern uh, was there. Yeah, I, don't, I, I know Bob, but I, I don't remember him there. But. Well, he was there for some part of it, uh, I know. Uh, yeah. Uh, and... Um, Jack Weller was the first person. Uh, oh, that's interesting. So you were there. All right, go on. Um, you know, then Suzuki Roshi and Okasan moved in, and mm -hmm. people started filling up the building. Yeah. And the work on the Zendo was taking place. Yeah. And I was, you know, I had, my sister gave me an old pickup truck, and so I went back to carpet installation. Mm-hmm. And um, I was working as a, like a subcontractor, working for two companies that I, I'd known. Um, and then d doing whatever I could to help out Zen Center. And at the same time, have a commitment to study and practice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it, what about your relationship with Suzuki Roshi? Do you, do you have any uh, memories of that or anything? To I again, I didn't know anything about Buddhism mm -hmm. and nothing about Zen Buddhism. But I, <clears throat> you know, I even even uh, you know in, in shipping out and and uh, I remember I'm up in northeastern Oregon working on a, a dairy farm in the middle of winter. I have my own house, and I remember you know, burning all my Zen books in an in, in a, in a fifty-five gallon drum, thinking you know that uh, you don't need to depend on words or letters. <laughs> so, so, so you know there was you know there was a big effort you know to read everything and get it my hands on. Um, so I mean when everybody's sort of in college, this is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And, and um, it's a very different, you know, it's taken me years to understand that, you know, uh, you know a college institution, you know, these are, these have their own cultures mm -hmm. and you're learning things. And, and, and I didn't have that experience. So, but I always wanted to learn. Mm -hmm. And I always felt because of my experience, everybody was equal. I didn't, um, you know, e equal in terms of their intention to... Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> and, um, but I, you know, I, I learned that 
I have, you know, my experience was, was not the same. So naturally I'm going to, I think, think differently. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I met Geshe Kelsang, you know, he, one of the first things he said to me, he said, you have a good heart. Mm. You know, and, and, and by that time, I, everything in my life had been a, just a complete failure. It seemed, you know, but, but I think now in hindsight, the Bodhisattva vow is indestructible. Mm-hmm. Indestructible. Mm. But, um, so Suzuki Roshi, I was able to be uh, his driver mm-hmm. for a while. And I would have tea with Okasan in their kitchen. Mm. Uh, and I was able to be with him a little bit when he, Yvonne was taking care of him before he, before he died. Mm. But I didn't really, I didn't really know. I mean, I just, I just um, knew I was, I didn't even know I was with a special person in, in a sense, but he, he did represent uh, the meaning of uh, a bodhisattva. Mm. Uh, other than that, I, I didn't, um, and then to learn about what is a bodhisattva. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think of him as a bodhisattva. You think of him as a roshi, you know, a teacher s- steeped in this tradition of s- student and teacher relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, him to ordain me too. Uh, uh, when he was ordaining people before he died, mm. I was going to request ordination. Mm. Um, yeah, so I have you know, incredible memories of that time. And especially, you know, both, you know, both Page Street and, and uh, Tassajara. Mm-hmm. Well, that's here. What? Let's hear some of those incredible memories. <laughs> you, you know some of those memories, David. Huh? <laughs> you know some of those memories. Um, I mean, I mean, we, we were there at the same time. Yeah. And it was, you know, I felt, you know, I felt because I had been in the, I hadn't been in, in, an, in an institution. I had been out in the world. Yeah. Um, and I had, in a way, I thought I didn't really have a childhood uh, because from a very early age, I was always relating to adults mm-hmm. in terms of you know working and all of that. And, and I grew up in Nevada, in Reno, where it's high desert and it's just vast. And it's like the mind is free. Mm. It just, it just, it's, it's an expansive space. Mm-hmm. So that's how. That's how my mind brought in all the images that I was experiencing uh, when mm-hmm. I was doing these different things. And then interacting with the people that were in were part of this. Incredible experiences. So when going to Tassajara, the, the natural beauty and the difficulty of the practice and the sit, for me, I, I couldn't even sit Indian style initially. I couldn't even, you know, that, I could never be a hippie because I could never sit Indian style. Went to Indian style. Cross-legged. Uh-huh. 
cross, just cross-legged, not not like in a Vajra posture, you know, just uh, cross-legged. Yeah. Um, so, but I, you know, I never wanted to leave Tassahara. Hmm. Hmm. And I was asked to be the buyer in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's where I met, you know, I met Cheryl, you, everybody. Paul Shippey. We were roommates. Hmm. I remember you, I was mainly at Tassahara. Uh, when, uh, you know, I came in 66, too, and went to Tassahara early. So I remember you from uh, Tassahara. But the city later, you know. Right, when you weren't talking. <laughs> yeah. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it felt so great, you know, to, for me, it was, you know, the, the family that I never had. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, and I didn't realize how much I was looking for that either. Mm. And I think that's what my marriage is represented of too. That, that part of me. Um, and I think that's why that ulcerative colitis and migraine headaches were so extreme. Mm. Because it was just the complete opposite of what I told myself I never wanted to do. Mm. Get married. No, Tassahara was great. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm uh, working on finishing up a book called Tassahara Stories. Do you have any uh, highlight at Tassahara or, or anything you think would be a good Tassahara story? I have a lot of them, but I can't... I'll have to think about nailing one of them down, nailing something down. Uh-huh. Um, because I was really, I was really um, happy. It was hard. It was, I mean, it was very hard for me, the practice, the sitting. Um, but finally, I got used to it mm -hmm. and never wanted to leave. But I didn't, I didn't know, I, I, the people... I, I never could understand that that I had kind of grown up in a different culture than an institution. Mm -hmm. And so the thinking about others wasn't necessarily the same. And that's why I like Buddhism, because it kind of leveled the playing field in relation to how to, you know, how to be with others, how to have a sangha, how to have a community. And I think that's what we were trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I didn't know any of that. I mean, I, I said that's what was my motivation, having taken the Bodhisattva vow. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. So um, you were with Zen Center then till? 1986. Yeah, wow. Wow. And Wendy and I were married then. <clears throat> Who? And Wendy, Clay's oh. mom. Oh, right, right. And that's the time, that was the time, uh, you know, I'd met the tradition I'm part of now. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it was a time when Zen Center was beginning to kind of have its difficulties with Dick Baker. Yeah, well, that that was uh, in, that was eighty three. Well, it was beginning, yeah. Well, no, he he left in eighty three. Oh, was it that early? Then I've got my. Uh, yeah, I've got my um, dates mixed up. Yeah. Yeah, I wondered. It was 83. It was that early. Yeah. Ah, okay. Um, but I stayed, but I was continued to stay in Zen Center because I, I was at, um, you know, I was, I was a member of Zen Center and I was going to classes and sitting and living around the corner and and that's also in, in the, the city the, then yeah in the city yeah well um yeah well, you've had a um uh you've you've had you've been following the bodhisattva's path you know yeah uh one way or another hey you you talked about you know you came to zen center you, you learned about Zazen, and then, you know, you you were away, uh, you know, Merchant Marine and, and various other things in Oregon, but you always sat. But yes. you said you had trouble sitting, too. Um, well, I what do I mean? I meant I didn't have trouble with the commitment and actually doing it. Yeah, no, I understand that. Always, That's clear. There was always resistance. Yeah, but you had trouble with the posture. The post, the the posture, and and controlling my mind. And I remember, I remember, um, I remember in Oregon, in in this fishing town called Charleston, I switched my object of of meditation from my breath to just watching my mind. Mm -hmm. And that was a big step, actually, for me. Um, to try to, but I'm I'm doing all this on my own. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't know. Nobody seemed at that time in Zen Center to, <clears throat> at least maybe just from my own perspective, that people really talked about their practice of sitting that much. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You just did it. Mm -hmm. Did you ever talk to Did you ever talk to Suzuki Roshi about asking um, him questions about? You know, I I never did. Again, I didn't um, understand that relationship. Mm. Hey, so um, we sort of come full circle here. Is there anything you would like to? Uh, conclude with? Um, well, just, I've been in Oaxaca now eight years. I've been in this tradition for what, 36 years? Yeah, wow. And I, I originally came here to be on a, a semi-retreat and to be on the study program I told you about. Yeah. Um, but, but finally, you know, people have asked me while I've been here, you know, do I, where's the temple? Do I, do I teach all of that? So I've, I have taught a little bit under the table. 
because I have there's certain restrictions I'm under in terms of my coordination. Mm. Um, but um, now recently I've gotten permission to open a center here. Oh, wow. so that's you're in a so nice place, man. I hear nothing but good things about Oaxaca. Well, you'll have to come and visit. I, I invite you. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a, a regular meditation thing there that people can go to? Well, we have Wednesday night. Yeah. Um, and there's a core group. You know, that, that has been happening for over a year now. And there's a core group. But, like, Oaxaca is, a, is an international city almost. It's a small city. But people from all over the world. Yeah, same come. here, where I am. Yeah. And they're all in, you know, so many people because I, I'm in robes. You know, I'm, I get into conversations with lots of people. Yeah. And, and I've had meditation at the house here, uh, kind of basically invitation because I'm asked not to make this into a public place. It's a residence. Mm -hmm. so over the years, I've, I, I've uh, hundred, you know, lots of people have come and meditated with me. Mm. Um, and I basically just do like Kadampa, the meditations that I've learned. Mm. Uh, I share that with people. Mm. So that's that's the good news. That's the big news, really. Uh, mm -hmm. I have to go to England in February for six months. Oh, to to um, be part of an international, you know, intensive teacher training program. Mm. Uh, with the understanding that I. I return here, which is the point, mm -hmm. and become the resident teacher and then establish a center here. Mm, that's great. That's that's great. So it's kind of going back full circle to 1990. Yeah, I tell you, my wife will want to come. <laughs> she what? My, my wife, Katrinka, she loves Oaxaca. I've never been there. but she, Oh, she, I, she's been here. Yeah, I lived in Mexico in 65. And uh, some of '66 before I came to Zen Center, but she's really been around a lot. And I've spent some time in Baja, but she spent a lot of time in Mexico. She was married to a man from a Central American. But, I mean, he was born in the United States, but uh, he, you know, he spoke Spanish and and I I, I can't remember where Mike's from. Uh, but um, yeah, she'll want to go there. It's it's definitely Yucatan and uh, Oaxaca. I hear good things about. Yeah, I knew nothing about Oaxaca when I came. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, my experience is it's um, I've never felt at home um, anywhere other than here since I was five years old. Mm. So it has a, a very warm, loving quality mm. uh, in, within the people and the, just overall. There's a spiritual presence here that's hard to put your finger on. Mm. 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 Well, that's great. Well, uh, maybe we'll see. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, not real interested in 
in going anywhere, really, but Oaxaca sounds good. <laughs> I understand. I, I just got my four-year temporary visa, so I don't have to leave every six months. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah we don't have to leave. We've been here nine right. years. So, yeah. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to go to England. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Well, that's great. You're you're doing good. I'm I'm I um I'm uh, very impressed. Uh, and uh, look, um, let's stay in touch. If if you think of anything else, just write me. I will. I will. Uh, I'll definitely will. I mean, I can think of lots of different things, and and you know, being snowed out of Tassajara one winter with you. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. You know, Snowed like, out? Out. We couldn't get in back in. Mm. I always got back in. Well, we managed to get yeah. back in. It might have been the, it might have been the next day. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, um, one thing I, I want to ask you, David, I'm <clears throat> kind of in putting together a fundraiser <clears throat> For, to help with my expenses to go there, to England. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to ask you, you fundraised for cuke.com? Yeah. You've, you've fundraised before. How have you done it? Uh, I mean, what, how, how have you linked the, the contributions? Uh, well, the John Terrence Group, the Pacific Zen Institute, my fiscal sponsor, Cuke Archives. Um, so, uh, People can give nonprofit, you know, they can give, they can deduct from their taxes, donations. I don't do okay. a lot of fundraising. I send out very, very little, um, but I depend on the donations I get. Um, I, I just, uh, I send out something uh, a once a year uh, or so. Um, uh, I've put things on, uh, you know, I mentioned it on the blog or on Facebook. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people follow cute.com. Uh, I get some donations without asking for them. Yeah. How much you, how much do you need to go to England? I'm asking, uh, for $4,500. You um, could do, a. One thing I've never done that a lot of people have done is do a GoFundMe. Right, I that was suggested, but also um, what I've you know, I've been had help put putting together that that state you know that request and and linking to my PayPal account. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. And I'll uh, okay. look when you when you get something together. Um, I'll post it. I'll put it on Facebook. I'll put it on, uh, uh, you know, our blog. But I don't do I don't do uh, mailings, emailings like that. People right. get yeah. hold of me and want to know if they can use my email list. I only send something out about once a year on email, yeah. uh, and I don't I don't do anything extra on it. Uh, well, that that would be great when I do get something together. Yeah, um, because I think you know, for me, this is you know, this is just uh, an extension of what I learned from Suzuki Roshi and receiving the Bodhisattva vow. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, and, and it's been a foundation for being able to practice here on my own. Um, email? Or do we just do Facebook? <clears throat> See, give me your email address, because if you're writing me anything, it's, it's easier for me to deal with it on email. Okay. Do you do email? It's, I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's my... Uh, this is modern Buddhism. Right. <laughs> you got to do email. Uh, but, well, you know, WhatsApp, do you do WhatsApp? Yeah. Do You know, WhatsApp is so big in Asia. Uh, I mean, that that's it. I mean, commercially, with friends, everything, it's WhatsApp. Um, they have very, very little phone call calling. Uh, I know. know. I don't, America's... Uh, <laughs> Less that way, I think. Like here, you got to have a WhatsApp. Everybody has a WhatsApp. You, you got to have a cell phone. Yeah. I mean. Oh yeah. I mean to get WhatsApp. Yeah. Um, now there are very very poor people here. Um, generally, you don't get much impression of that. Uh, my wife goes into the sticks. She's with a women's service organization, and there's villages she goes to that are really not part of all this. But generally, everybody has a, a smartphone, not just a cell phone, a smartphone where they can set, uh, use it for uh, internet, WhatsApp. Mm. Same here in same here in Mexico. Yeah. In yeah, they're all over the world. And uh, um, it's caused a lot of trouble with, uh, you know, Facebook, uh, you know, spreading. Uh, it, 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 it turns out that disinformation is much more popular than uh, regular information. <laughs> Mark Twain said that. He said uh, he? a long time ago, he said uh, 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 a, uh, a lie has traveled around the world while the truth is still uh, tying its shoelaces. <laughs> he he also said, um, "If you think Lake Tahoe is the most beautiful lake in the world, you haven't seen Pyramid Lake." Pyramid, Pyramid Lake. You know, so that's when I was talking about that vast, immense space in the high desert. I'm talking about, you know, where Pyramid Lake is. Well, wh and, uh, where's that? In Nevada. So uh huh. I it's just a little bit north of Reno, not that far. I've probably been there. Paiute um, Indian Reservation, no development. Uh huh. Mm. Beautiful. Anyway, another mm. another time. Very interesting. Oh yeah, he also said the coldest winter of my life was uh, summer in San Francisco. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, well, my, my son Clay is is uh, you know born in San Francisco. Yeah. So he, he identifies very strongly with San Francisco. What's he up to? He's a he's in a band. He's a musician, <clears throat> plays bass, and he's also a bartender. Mm. And where does he live? Uh, just off of Divisadero on Hayes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lives with his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. All right, all right. Well, God, it's good talking with you, uh, Kelson. Well, Sogtor, the Kelsang is Geshe Kelsang's first name is Kelsang. 
So everybody ordained takes that first name. Oh. But then, then we're given our ordained name. Chunktor. Sog, Sogtor. Chunktor. So I'll yeah. call you Chunktor. Sogtor, yeah. That's harder to T-S-O-G. say. T-S-O-G. Do you want my email, David? Uh, why don't you just put it in a Facebook message? That's right. Yeah, we have that option. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He tells me, but I delete it. Well, I'll probably remember that, but you might remember. I'll send it to you anyway. I don't see how I could forget that now. You're not getting younger, David. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, I definitely forget a lot. Not that I mind, I'll tell you. (laughs) Um, I think you're about two years older than me, aren't you? I'm 77. Okay, I just turned 76. Yeah. So, and Katrinka just turned 75. Kelly's going to be 50 next year. A, wee, a year from now. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And Clay is 31. Anyway, very good. Thank you for reaching out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very impressed. Really good. You've you've uh, done a good job with yourself, and uh, and also, you're um, you've got a, a bright future. When I think about just the, you know, the benefits, you know, of opening a Dharma center for people, yeah, incredible. All right. All right. Very good. Thanks a lot, Chogtor. From now on, you're Chogtor. Chogtor. Yeah. Okay, take care. My, yeah, the the name the name uh, Suzuki Roshi gave me was um, Chosan Kado. Mm. Um, that lay name, which meant uh, I think it means something like auspicious mountain enjoying the Buddhist path. Yeah, I can I can see that at least the the sun in the door mountain and path Chosan Kado. All right, very good. So that you know that um, that's never been untrue, you know. And no matter what has happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you uh, like you said, um, once you get on the path, you said it's uh, indestructible. Yeah. He, what he said was, when the eyes of Buddhism get on you, you can you can't ever get away from them. And I wrote a thing about that. It's actually going to be in. Uh, that Tassar stories of ever get that published because that's the eyes of Texas was is the theme song of the University of Texas. Everybody thinks it's the state song, but the eyes of Texas are upon you. You cannot get away is the first line. (laughs) So I go, I go from Texas to Sokoji and I hear the teacher say, once the eyes of Buddha, I think, wow, <laughs> I've just moved from one set of eyes to another. <laughs> uh, okay, and we can't get and we can't get away, and we can't get away. No. Yeah. Uh, all right. Hey. All right. Well, thank you, David. Thank you. Very good talking with you. Good to talk to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. So thank you very much, Gilzan Sogdor, formerly known as Van Voorhees. Uh, very interesting, very interesting, and uh, 
Yeah, I'm going to go to uh, Oaxaca and check on the Kadampa method, which we can look into it at kadampatradition.org. Oh, I just tested that, and yes, that works, but then it goes to kadampa.org, and I tested that, and yeah, all you have to write is kadampa.org. One thing I'd like to make a slight correction, uh, Van, I mean, Sogdor, uh, mentioned Fields Bookstore, which was very important. Mm, spiritual, psychic, uh, New Age before the New Age bookstore uh, on Polk Street, not on Van Ness in San Francisco. So thanks. Talk to her until we meet again in Oaxaca. This has been a Cuke Audio podcast. I'm DC Puba of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives, coming to you from Sleepy Senor with Doggett, Bandita Feline Cujita, guest Doggett, Boombo, otherwise known as Boombita. And soon, in a week, Dear lovely Katrinka will return here from her adventures in America. And we're wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening. Mm-hmm.